Thanks so much for tuning into this message today. My name is Pastor Joey McLaughlin, and the heartbeat of Elevate City Church is to help people know Jesus, follow Jesus, and lead others to do the same. And we spend seasons focusing on those three ideas. And right now, we're in a follow season. We want to help you follow Jesus like never before, help you live in his ways and practice his teachings. And so in this next message, that's what you're going to discover, how to be a disciple who makes disciples for Jesus. If this message is inspiring for you, we would love it if you'd hit that subscribe button so you can get the most up-to-date Elevate City content. And you can also give in the link below to get this message in front of more people. My prayer is that you are inspired and challenged today. Be blessed. We are continuing in a collection of talks. If you notice that epic bumper video um, on the book of Jonah, let me hear you say Jonah. And for the last several weeks, we've just been looking at this Old Testament story of this prophet who ran away from God. And we're asking ourselves the question, how far will God run after runaways? And um, if you want to, we've got a devotional that you can download on the YouVersion Bible app. And you can journey with us um, every single day of the week as we dive deeper and deeper into the story of Jonah. Hundreds of people are doing this devotion with us throughout the week. At this point, I think that there have been over 5,000 downloads on these Jonah devotionals. So you're a part of a church that's pushing the message out of Jesus out to people that we'll never see. So can you give our discipleship team a big round of applause for creating that incredible devotional? It's been amazing. Um, and uh, I cannot wait to dive deeper into the story of Jonah tonight. But before we do, if you were here last week, um, I told you guys that we had a special announcement tonight. And so without further ado, I want to make that announcement. Now, I know some of you guys, like your hands are sweating and you're thinking, is this guy about to tell me we're going to do 33 days a night church? <laughs> not yet. Okay, maybe eventually, but not yet. Tonight, I got something different for you. If you're, uh, if you're new to the Elevate City story, this is just a little bit of family business for a second. Um, just to catch you up, we are a brand new church that launched a little bit over a year ago. My wife, Kayla, and I, and some of our very best friends um, were launched out from a church called Stone Creek Church into the city of Sandy Springs with a handful of families and a dream a dream of seeing a Jesus movement come to this city. And uh, we were launched in the middle of a pandemic, which should tell you a great deal about our view of the urgency of the gospel. We'll do whatever it takes to get the message of Jesus in front of people. And uh, so because of that, we like met in a government building in like a sketchy underground basement. Uh, we met in a movie theater that also had a bar in it, my personal favorite location. Um, we met in a uh, hotel that smelled like marijuana. And uh, then eight weeks ago, we relocated here to First Baptist Church, Sandy Springs. And uh, I just wanna take a moment, can we give it up to First Baptist Sandy Springs for opening their doors to us? We moved out of the Marriott uh, meeting on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and we shifted services to um, Sunday nights at 5 p.m. here. And you guys have been so gracious, those of you who've come along with us on this wild journey as we've just done crazy things um, throughout the Elevate City story. And um, one of the things that's just been key to the culture from day one is that we wanted to be the kind of church that was willing to follow the Holy Spirit wherever he would lead us next. We didn't wanna be a church that played it safe. We didn't wanna be a church that was conventional. We didn't wanna be a church that was normal. We wanted to be a church that was different, that kind of opened people's eyes to the reality that there is this God who is leading us, that we're not running just all the latest and greatest strategies or plays, that we may not be the smartest people in the book, but that we are some faithful people who will just follow Jesus wherever he's leading us next. And so um, that's what kind of tonight is about. Um, over the course of these um, last eight weeks, it's been so cool to be here. I've loved, loved, loved being here at First Baptist Sandy Springs. And as we've been here, I've developed an incredible relationship with um, the pastor of First Baptist Sandy Springs, Pastor Mitch and his wife, Donna, and uh, the congregation as well. Some of you might not know this, but actually Pastor Mitch and Donna worship with us every Sunday night they come to Elevate City Church. Yeah, show them some love right now. They help us. They help us set up, they help us tear down. They grab our kids sometimes and are just like carrying our kids around. They're doing everything that they can to try to create a space for us to call home because we found ourselves homeless and they just wanted to provide a space for us. Now, what you also might not know is that over the last eight weeks, myself and members from our team, we've been coming to First Baptist on Sunday mornings. 
So every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., I'm here on the front row, amening and cheering and worshiping my face off to some hymns that I never heard of before, okay? <laughs> and it's awesome, okay? And over the last um, eight weeks, to just be totally honest, uh, Pastor Mitch and Donna, they have fallen in love with what Jesus is doing here at Elevate City. And uh, myself and the team, we've fallen in love with what Jesus is doing at First Baptist Church Sandy Springs. And uh, First Baptist is an incredible group of people. Um, this is a church that's been here. Um, it's got a 150-year-old history. For generations, they've been on this corner seeing the movement of Jesus expand, see the kingdom, seeing the kingdom of God invade this city. And um, I've just fallen in love with these old saints. I feel, I feel like over the course of the last eight weeks, I've gotten eight new sets of grandparents. Hello, okay? People like pinching my cheek and this is gonna be the greatest Christmas ever. I'm gonna get all the Christmas socks in Jesus' name, okay? Um, but it's been so good, so good just getting to know them and getting to hear their heart and um, where they're at right now just in the life of their church is they're in a season of just really pressing in and figuring out what the Lord has for their future. Um, they're an older congregation and COVID has just been really challenging for them. And Pastor Mitch has only been here for two years. And so he's a new pastor trying to get vision and direction into his church. And um, I know the prayers that they're praying. They're praying that this church would be a church full of life. And they're praying that um, their auditorium would be full again. And they're praying that they would be used by God to reach young families and to reach young professionals. And that the pitter-patter of kids' feet would fill their hallways again. And that this church would be a gospel outpost for generations and generations to come. And... Um, so as they're praying that prayer and as they're attending Elevate City, um, Pastor Mitch starts to notice that by God's grace, we've got a lot of those things. That by God's grace, in the midst of a pandemic, a global pandemic, and in the midst of a time in Christian history when the church, when many churches are dying, our church is growing. I want for you to know that uh, six of the eight weeks that we've been here, people have gotten baptized in Jesus' name. That there have been hands who are raised every single week of people meeting Jesus. New people come week after week after week. You might not know this. What we're doing in the room is awesome. So many people come every week. But we're reaching thousands of people online through these messages and through these services. Like, God is doing a great work here. We've got people watching in Augusta and in Louisiana and in Brazil, like all over the place. People are tapping into what God is doing here at Elevate City by God's grace because I got no idea what I'm doing, okay? I'm just up here making it up as I go. But so Pastor Mitch, he just, he was bold and humble enough to just knock on my door one day and man, we meet really consistently and uh, he just, he said, hey, I've got this crazy idea. I don't know what you would think about it, but our church, we're studying the book of Acts and we're trying to figure out how to be the church and to see this life change happen. And you guys are, you guys are doing so much of it. And I just wondered, I, I know this is crazy. Would your church maybe come and teach my church how to do some of the things that you do? And I was like, Pastor Mitch, I don't know what we're doing, okay? I don't know what we're going to teach you. But um, so that was my first response. And my second response was, if we can do anything to help the kingdom of God move forward, then yes, and absolutely we will do it because we're always gonna be the kind of church that is more concerned with the big C church than the little C church, amen? That's more concerned about the kingdom of God moving forward than this little outpost getting brand recognition. And uh, so we put our heads together and we thought how crazy would it be if for the next couple of weeks, um, First Baptist Church Sandy Springs got to experience Elevate City Church. And so we're gonna try it. <laughs> Starting next Sunday at 10.30 a.m., Elevate City is on the move again, and Elevate City Church is going to meet at First Baptist Church Sandy Springs with First Baptist Church Sandy Springs. It's gonna be awesome. And I think it's gonna be an opportunity for us to be able to learn so much from each other. Okay, I want for you to know, just to like kind of set your mind at ease so that you know what's happening. It's gonna look just like this, okay? So like bring your friends, bring your family, invite people, know you can show up with confidence. It's gonna look like your church, okay? They want that. They want to see what we're doing to reach all these young people and attract all these new people. They're trying to get an experience of it. And so it's gonna look like this. It's gonna sound like this. I'm going to be preaching. We're gonna have um, plenty of earplugs for our new friends. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's gonna be an awesome, awesome experience for us to worship together. And so this wild goose chase that we're on of planning a church in a pandemic and just figuring it out as we go continues next week. And we don't know how many weeks we're gonna do this yet. 
We don't know if it's going to be for two weeks or three weeks or four weeks. We, we have no idea. We're just taking it one step at a time um, to, to see what God might be up to in the kingdom. Like, I know a lot of you are wondering, well, what does this mean for the future of LAC? Like, what is happening right now? I don't know what's happening right now. But all I know is that an opportunity has been presented to help out a church that has helped us. And we are going to say yes and step in and just see what King Jesus is up to. Amen. Now, here's the best part of this whole story. That means that for the next several weeks, we do not have to set up or tear down in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. Woo! And the church said amen. All right, uh, well, now that that first sermon is over, I'm going to pray cleanse the palate, and then I'll jump into my second sermon. All right, here we go. Jesus, thank you so much um, that you build your church in crazy, wild, beautiful, unconventional ways, and I'm just so honored to be a part of it. God, it is, um, it is truly an honor and a grace, and I feel so humble and grateful that you would trust me and my wife and these people to lead these kind of faith followers, to lead these kind of Jesus followers, to get to build a real, authentic, transparent, deep, biblical, Jesus-centered community here in this city. And God, we just want Jesus to be glorified. We just want the kingdom to expand. We want those who don't know your grace yet to taste it. We want for the addicts to get set free. We want for those people who are in slavery to find freedom. We want for the lost to get found, for the prodigal to come home, for families to get built up, for the cultural narrative to change, and for the kingdom to expand. I don't want to be alive, God. I don't want to be alive on planet earth when your church shrank back. I want to be a part of a generation who moved it forward and caused it to multiply and become a more beautiful expression of your bride. And so we're just here saying, Jesus, have your way with us. Our eyes are on you. And we pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's about to go down. Have you ever wished that you could uh, get like a rewrite on life? You ever wish that you could have like a day that you just did over? Have you ever thought to yourself like, man, like if I could, if I could do that interview over again, it might go different. If, if I could ask her out again and not use that cheesy pickup line, maybe she would say yes. Like if I could just get a rewrite on that relationship, maybe, just maybe, what might my life become? Did you know that the, um, the greatest movie, one of the greatest movies of all time is actually a rewrite? How many of you are fans of Star Wars in the house tonight? Any Star Wars fans, okay? If your hand isn't up, then you should come down for prayer after the service, okay? Star Wars is only like the highest grossing movie series of all time. It is amazing and it is incredible, but it was at first not destined to be a blockbuster, it was destined to be a bust, okay? If, uh, if you get on the interwebs, hop on the Googles, and you look up like the original script for Star Wars, you'll see it looks like a second grade nerd wrote it, all right? Like it was a completely different script, a completely different story than the one that we know and love today. The original script of Star Wars, so interesting, it follows this fat teenager named Anakin Starkiller. It's a much lamer name than Luke Skywalker. And this fat teenager named Anakin Starkiller, um, his dad drags him to a planet where they meet a random general named Luke Skywalker. Oh, his son in the real movie. Then from there, he, uh, Anakin Starkiller goes and meets Princess Leia, who he punches in the face and then marries. That's his daughter in the real movie. To top it all off, Chewbacca is a prince and a... Uh, and uh, your favorite character, Han Solo, is a green-skinned monster with no nose and uh, big, fat, green gills. I don't know about you, but I think Harrison Ford was a better option. Can I get an amen, ladies? <laughs> but here's what happens is rewrites create legacies. Rewrites 
change destinies. And in Jonah chapter three, the prophet who we've been studying gets a rewrite. This runaway rebel who's run 2,500 miles away from what God has called him to do gets his script rewritten and it changes everything. He has the first draft crumbled up, thrown out, and a new one begins. Jonah chapter three is a rewrite. And tonight I want for you to see that the good news of the gospel is that the God of heaven and earth is willing to rewrite stories and to change destinies. Let me show you how it happens in the story of Jonah. Jonah chapter one, here's the first draft. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. That's the first draft. Now, let me show you the rewrite. Jonah chapter three, verse one, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it the message that I tell you. The similarities are staggering, they're glaring, they're so apparent, but then the rewrite really sets in. Let me show you, Jonah chapter one, verse three. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Rewrite. Jonah chapter 3, verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. In chapter 1, Jonah flees. In chapter 3, Jonah follows. And what makes all the difference in the rewrite of this story is who holds the pen when it happens. This is good news tonight that you and I have an opportunity to have our stories rewritten, but they only really get rewritten when we change who holds the pen and who writes the story in our lives. We see that in uh, Jonah chapter two, verse nine, that Jonah throws God the pen. He says, I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is Jonah saying, God, I'm done calling the shots. God, I don't know what's best for my life. God, I keep following what my heart tells me. I keep going where my emotions lead me. But what's becoming really evident is that I don't know what's best for me. You know, I think that great prophet Pink was right. I'm a, my own worst enemy. I'm a hazard to myself. Don't let me get me. Don't let me hurt me any longer. God, I want to trust you to write the script for my life. I want to trust you with the stories that you're writing. I put the pen in your hands, and what happens is that this is goodbye failure, hello grace. This is goodbye running, hello following. Goodbye, you know, striving, hello, run you down, chase you down, the relentless love of God that turns runaway rebels into faithful followers. It's what we see happen in the story of Jonah. And it's all because he throws the pen into the hands of God and says, God, I'm not calling the shots anymore. Notice that it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. God gives Jonah a second chance. Can you praise him tonight for the fact that he is the God of second chances? Can you show him some love tonight that we've got a God who gives people second chances? I think that's so good. Like, and I want for that to be an invitation for some of you tonight. Now, there are some of you who are going to get a second chance to be a dad tonight. And God's going to show you that he's given you a second chance at marriage tonight. And he's given you a second chance at wholeness tonight. And maybe you were sick and you thought your life was going to end, but he's given you a second chance at life tonight. And he's asking you, are you going to make the second chance count? I love that we have a God of second chances. But here's the truth. Let's just get really real tonight. Second chances sound really great until you're on your third failed marriage or you're on your fourth trip to rehab or you're on your fifth failed job. And then all of a sudden, second chances don't seem great because we seem to be people who have this perpetual habit of blowing second chances. Uh, society would love to tell you that the greatest predictor of your future is your past. 
that whatever you have been is going to determine what you are going to be. And so if you've been slow, you're always going to be slow. If you've been heavy, you're always going to be heavy. If you've been bad with money, you're always going to be bad with money. If you've always disappointed in relationships, well, you're always going to disappoint in relationships. And if your dad was like that, then you're going to be like that. And if that's what you've done in the past, well, that's an indicator of your future. And unfortunately, I'm here to tell you tonight that apart from a real encounter with the person of Jesus, that society tends to be kind of right. I don't know what your experience has been, but mine has been that life in my own strength, I tend to live on a treadmill. And I tend to live life on repeat. And I think that I know what's best for me, and maybe I do for a day or two, but I end up back in these same habits and in these same patterns and in these same broken mindsets and with these same broken beliefs that cause these same broken behaviors, which creates this same level of disappointment. But something happens when you take control of your life and you place that control in the hands of God, when you take the pen that answers every question and that calls every shot and that writes the schedule for every day and you just go, God, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. I don't, I don't, I don't know what's best for me. And so I'm gonna stop doing it my way and I'm gonna do it your way. I'm gonna follow you and to trust you and press into you. And that's exactly what happens with the prophet Jonah. Jonah realizes that the good news of the gospel is that your failure does not have to determine your future and that your mistakes do not have to determine your destiny. That when it comes to Jesus, it can be different because his lordship shows us that now someone different's right in the story, amen? That my life can go different because I've got a different author who's writing a masterpiece in my life. You know, I think that he's the God of second chances. That's called grace. But I think the fact that he's the God who's willing to take the pen and make a masterpiece out of your life, that's grace upon grace. Amen? The fact that not only is he willing to forgive you, he's willing to offer you this opportunity to do it his way this time. And that's what God extends to Jonah. I don't know. Is anyone tired of blowing second chances tonight? Is anyone tired of praying... That prayer, God, is never going to happen again. And if you'll just get me out of it this time, and if somehow you'll just keep all of this chaos from falling in on me, and I know I've been sinful, and I know I've made these mistakes, but God, if you'll just get me out this time, then it'll just all be, I'll never do it again, only to find yourself back in the same place. You see, Jonah realizes that prayer is, an, is important and that prayer is the starting point, but it's obedience that makes all the difference in the end. It's changing what you do. You see, oftentimes what we say is we say, God, I'll follow you within these parameters. It's Jonah chapter one. God, I'll follow you so long as like, you don't make me go to Africa and live amongst the bush people and like preach the gospel and like work at a church. Okay, other than that, I'll follow you wherever you, you, you want me to go. Like we try to put these parameters on it, but what happens in Jonah chapter three is Jonah goes, I'm done making editorial suggestions. I'm done having a script for my life. I'm done calling the shots. I'm just gonna place it in your hands and faithfully walk in obedience. See, everything starts to change when Jonah realizes that being the captain of his own ship and the master of his own soul isn't the right way to live. That the right way to live is to surrender to God without question, even when you have reservation to surrender to God without question, even when you have reservation. If all you learn to do tonight is to trust God even when you disagree, you'll be a thousand steps closer to your destiny than you ever imagined. If all you'll start to do tonight is go, I'm not going to let my emotions and I'm not going to let my thoughts, I'm not going to let my feelings dictate whether or not I trust God, but I'm gonna follow God without reservation even when I disagree you'll be so much closer to your destiny tonight. Listen, Jonah still doesn't want to go to Nineveh. His desire to go to Nineveh didn't change. I think sometimes we have this confusing version of Christianity where we think that one day something's going to happen, something like emotional. We think it's gonna be like a Cupid moment and God's gonna like shoot us with an arrow from heaven and then all of a sudden become these Christian robots who are just like, I do whatever God wants me to do in Jesus' name. And that's not the way that it works. 
There are all sorts of times that I don't want to do what God wants me to do, but I do it anyway because that's called faith. That's called trust. That's called obedience. And that's the currency of Christianity. The currency of Christianity is I've submitted my life to someone else's lordship. I've gotten under someone else's authority. I've seen how this has played out for all of human history, and they don't know how to do it best. And so let me do it God's way instead. Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh, but he goes anyway. And that's what causes his life to be the legacy. That's what causes him to step into the destiny that he gets to experience. We must be people who walk in obedience. And so Jonah goes. He goes to Nineveh. Look, Jonah chapter three, verse three. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breadth. Now, the rewrite continues. And um, I don't think that it's any coincidence what happens next. The text says that that Nineveh is this huge city. It's a city that is so big that it would take three days to walk it in length. And I don't find it to be any coincidence tonight that the exact amount of time of that there's this correlation between Jonah's mission and the amount of time that he spends in preparation. Jonah spends three days in the belly of a whale, in the belly of a fish, and then he's got to take three days to walk through a city that he doesn't want to be in, to tell people a message that he doesn't want to proclaim uh, amongst a group of people who his people have been at war with for thousands of years. Do you see the correlation? Three days in the belly of a fish, three days to walk through the city. Because oftentimes there is a purpose to our process. There's a purpose to our process. Our process of preparation has a purpose. God is working in the whale. God is working in the hiccups of life. God is using those moments of feeling like you've been forgotten to prepare you for the mission that he has for you. We see it so evidently in the story of Jonah that what God is doing is that in chapter one, Jonah's rebellion landed him three days in the belly of a whale. And in chapter three, Jonah's faith landed him three days walking through the heart of Nineveh. And so I don't know where you find yourself tonight. I don't know if you find yourself feeling like I have been waiting for God to do something great in my life. And I feel like I've just been in this belly of the whale and can't get out. I oftentimes think that the longer seasons of preparation indicate the greater seasons of coming impact. Jesus spent 30 years preparing for three years of ministry. And so I want for you to know that your father has not forgotten about you tonight, that he has not lost sight of a single one of his kids. And so whatever belly of whatever whale you're in, waiting for him to spit you out, waiting for that resurrection experience, just know that that seismic impact that you're going to have for the kingdom of God is right around the corner. And it is going to be so much more epic because you waited and you trusted the process. Amen. Jonah waits. Jonah gets prepared, and then Jonah begins to walk through Nineveh. Verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, and going a day's journey, he called out, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, this is like Jonah's curtain call. This is his second act. This is his rewrite. And so I think that in, um, in Act 1, it Jonah blows it. If you remember back, he's on the ship with all of the mariners and they're all praying to their idol gods, to their foreign gods. And Jonah won't even pray to his God. He won't even pray to his God. And so I'm just assuming that in his second act, when he gets this chance to preach a sermon, that it is about to be nails, y'all, right? Like he is about to preach the paint off the walls. Like it is about to be the greatest, most prepared, most well-executed sermon of all time. It is going to be like the sermon that all other future sermons get based upon. I know it would be for me, right? Like Jonah is getting ready to go into a city, into a rival city, Nineveh, that is full of 120,000 people in the audience. And it's a tough crowd, like literally. Y'all remember week one where we said that they skinned people alive, nailed their tongues to the ground, and made a pyramid out of their heads? Hello. If that's not a tough crowd, I don't know what it is. And so I would be really thinking about what I'm getting ready to say. I would be preparing my sermon. I would be like, I'm going to have this intro story, and it's going to make people laugh and cry twice. And then I'm going to have, like, all of these points that are just, like, so perfect and so well written. I'm going to probably sing my points. Point number one, Nineveh, why you got to be so rude? 
don't make my head a pyramid too, right? I would just be thinking about exactly what to say to make sure that these people were like on the edge of their seats. And then at the end, I'd probably like read a poem about my daughter Raleigh and we would all cry, right? Because that's how I finish a lot of my sermons, let's be real. And so I would try so hard to try to construct this sermon that would pull people in, but nah, not Jonah. That's not what he does yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. That's all we know from the sermon. Now, I bet a lot of you are thinking, Joey, I wish you would take notes on the length of Jonah's sermons. (laughs) Not today, people, not today. Um, It got me thinking, though, like if there was an eight-word sermon, what would it be? If there was an eight-word sermon, what would it be? It'd be like, Jesus loves you, follow him, it works, promise, right? Like this, (laughs) Jesus loves you, follow him, it works, promise, right? That's my best eight-word sermon, but not Jonah's sermon. Jonah's is a yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It's just eight words in English, just five words in Hebrew. It is short and direct and offensive. And I'm here to tell you tonight, I think a lot of sermons in American Christianity would benefit if they started getting short, direct, and a little offensive. If they started calling out a lot of the sin that we just sweep under the rug if they started addressing a lot of the issues that we tend to shy away from because an empty gospel and a shallow gospel is a powerless gospel. And what Jonah does is he preaches boldly, he preaches passionately, he calls out what he sees right in front of him. Now, one thing that I think is really important is that like Jonah always gets this bad rap for being like the one prophet who makes the one prophecy that doesn't get fulfilled. Not so fast, not so fast. If you do a deep word study of um, this word that is used, um, this is very interesting, the word overthrown that Jonah used. The word overthrown is the Hebrew word hapak. Let me hear you say hapak. And in Hebrew, if you could say it with a good Hebrew accent, which I cannot, it, it would sound a lot like hiccup. It would sound a lot like hiccup. And it's almost as if the meaning of this word has a hiccup in it, hapak. And it's got two meanings. It means overthrown and destroyed or overthrown and changed. Yet 40 days in Nineveh will be overthrown. In 40 days, one of two things is gonna happen. Nineveh is going to be overthrown, Hippoch, and they're gonna be destroyed. Or there's a Hippoch, Nineveh is going to be overthrown and they're going to be changed. You see, Jonah doesn't make a prophecy that doesn't come true. Jonah makes a prophecy that offers the Ninevites a rewrite. Jonah is not the only one who gets a rewrite. The Ninevites get an opportunity to rewrite everything that people have known about them throughout history. That they don't have to continue to overthrow nations and they don't have to continue to exercise barbaric might, but that they can surrender to the offer of God right here, right now, and they can be changed. This is not just a pronouncement of judgment. This is an invitation for the story of Nineveh to be rewritten. But there's a time limit. There's a time limit. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Time was ticking on the mercy of God. God's mercy has a limited time offer. Make no mistake, God's is a long wick of patience. He is the God of second, third, fourth, thousandth chances, but eventually our days run out. And I don't know what day you may be on in your life tonight. For all I know, you could be on day 39 and time is ticking, tick, tick, tick. You know, it's so interesting that the Ninevites knew that they got 40 days. It's almost scarier when you don't know how long you're going to get. In this modern world that we live in with all of the marvels of medicine and science and kale, (laughs) we tend to think that we're going to get forever. 
and we tend to think that tomorrow I'm going to change and that when I get past this lump in my career, then I'm gonna make adjustments on what matters most. And when I get to this level in my finances that I'll begin to give to the church and that when I get this in order in my life, I'll start to take my faith seriously. And when I get some more time, then I'll make time for my relationship with the Lord. And you know, eventually I'm gonna get my act together and turn my life around and come back to God. We always think that another day is coming. And the really scary thing for us is that we don't know the time limit. We just know that eventually the clock is going to strike zero. And I know that this isn't a popular message in modern day Christianity. I know that a lot of people pe preach a, a gospel of just, it's all gonna be all right in the end. And just the problem with that is just the Bible. That's not the story of the Bible that all throughout the pages of scripture, we see that God is a God of grace and truth. And it's the truth of God that brings about real transformation in the end. And so let me tell you the truth, humanity, we are more broken, we are more flawed than we could ever begin to imagine. We are rebels, we are glory thieves. I'm one and so are you. We've chosen the creation of God over the creator. God created us and he loves us and he wants good for us, but we take control of our own lives and we make a mess in the end. We see it playing out on the world stage right now. We see it playing out in our economy right now. We see it playing out in our country right now. And I want for you to know that technology is not the savior and capitalism is not the savior and America is not the savior. Only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus. And the truth is, is that there is a real place called hell that, and people are really going there. That is not figurative. That is not symbolism. It is real. And I'm not saying this to scare you tonight. I'm saying this to hopefully wake you up tonight and to let you know that an offer of Jesus' grace stands before you and before me, but time it's running out. It's running out on me. It's running out on our neighbors. It's running out on this generation. It's running out on this city. I know God has a long wick of patience. But I know we have an opportunity to repent and to turn back to the heart of God today. So I just plead with you, friend, you're not here on accident today. You're not hearing this message just based upon happenstance today. I believe that you're here right now because there's this message of grace and there's this message of a rewrite and there's a message of a new chance, a second chance and a do-over in your life and for all of eternity. Don't let that chance pass you by today. We see Nineveh, we see Nineveh begin to respond. Verse five, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now, this is an unreal response. The people of Nineveh, they believe God after a five-word sermon from a dude who still smells like tuna fish. It's amazing. Like, I'm thinking about putting on that cologne and just seeing if you guys will listen to my sermons a little bit more emphatically. Because the response is insane. These people, they believe God and they act on it which I think is so important that God doesn't just want to rewrite your belief tonight. He wants to rewrite your behavior tonight. Yes, he wants to change what you believe, but your changed behavior is a byproduct of that belief. These Ninevites, yeah, they believe that God is going to do what he says he is going to do, but that belief ignites action. And so here's the truth is that you don't have to do anything to be a Christian. No, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But if you believe that, there's going to be evidence in a transformed life. The Ninevites believe God and they act on it. They fast for 40 days, they fast. And so I don't want to hear any more griping about 22 days of fasting. Because <laughs> they fasted for 40, there was evidence and they put on sackcloth, this uncomfortable, itchy clothes from the greatest of them to the least of them, from the oldest to the youngest, from the richest to the poorest. Now, Watch what happens next. What happens next is Jonah's word, the word of God, reaches the king of Nineveh. Because when your words are God's words, there's no limit to how far those words will go. Chapter, verse 6, uh, the word reached the king of Nineveh. 
And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Could you imagine this happening in our country? A movement of God, a movement of Jesus starts to become so so rampant, it starts to spread like wildfire and it's just sweeping cities and counties and it begins to sweep across the country. So President Biden, he gets on the national news and he says, all right, guys, God's showed up. So no one eats lunch and put all of your puppies in burlap. What would be crazier is if people would start to do it, right? If people would just cancel their lunch plans, get on their face, start to pray to God, put little chihuahuas and burlap and just hope that God forgives them. We see that repentance is what ignites revival. Repentance is what ignites revival. A changed mind, a changed heart, a changed behavior. People who start to march to the beat of a different drum. People who live holy lives. People who have different priorities. People who speak a different language, spend their time in different ways, have a different set of ethics spend their time doing different things, play to a different scoreboard, have different values. That's what wakes up revival in, in a nation. Not just saying that we believe something, but acting like we believe something. I'm looking not for the people who say they follow Jesus, but for the people who actually follow Jesus. That's what causes revival to break out. And we see it happen in Nineveh. This repentance starts this massive revival. This revival is quite possibly the greatest revival in human history. Lots of scholars and theologians and uh, church fathers have studied just movements of God. And a lot of people say that this is quite possibly the greatest one. 120,000 people uh, profess faith in Christ. They turn and they repent in a matter of 40 days. Now, if you would do any like study of antiquity, then you would know that Nineveh, much like modern towns, like that would have been probably the population of, of just like the, the city center of Nineveh, but the greater Nineveh area of all the smaller towns around it, all of the little outskirts and cities, it would probably made up about 600,000 people by the most conservative estimates. So you're going in 40 days, 600,000 people without internet or technology or, or YouTube or anything like that, they spread this message to 600,000 people in 40 days. It's amazing. What it leads me to believe is many of us have started to doubt the power, the gospel, the move of God's spirit and his ability to wake up the impossible. Have you started to think that the best days of Christianity are behind the church? Have you started to think that the best days of your Jesus following are behind you? Have you started to believe that there are things that God can't do, things that God won't do? Have you started to make agreements and say, well, this is just the way that it's been, and so this is the way that it's always going to be? Have you given up hope on this generation? Have you just started to buy into the lie that we're just all going to hell in a handbasket in the end? Have you started to think, oh, well, this country's just going to burn to the ground? And there goes those young kids with their darned old rap music. Have you just started to make these agreements that, okay, you know, I guess it's just going to be the, our story that, you know, we were the generation that had to put for sale signs up in front of the churches. Have you started to think that like, no, like, ah, it's just too offensive now and I just got to be too politically correct now and it's not polite and I'm going to get canceled and they're going to cancel me and nobody's going to like me and I don't want to get canceled. And so I just can't share my faith with my friend anymore. And so if I'm not going to tell them then I don't know if anybody's going to tell them because they're just living in this world full of darkness and isolation and they don't know anything about God and they never hear the good news. Well, that's why God placed you there to tell them. 
That's why God placed you there to tell them because it's not your job to save. It's just your job to be obedient and to trust the God of the impossible to do the saving. And I want for us to be a church who believe that the impossible people in our life, the people who we never think would darken the doors of a church, the people who said that they've given up on God because they feel like the church has given up on them, the people who've walked out and given up on religion and who've bought into the lie that maybe I could just be satisfied in this life. I want us to believe that God could use us to bring those prodigals back home and to see this wave of revival that happened in Nineveh, happened in this generation, in this city, and beyond. Amen? So who's your impossible tonight? Who's your Nineveh tonight? Who's that story that they're never going to turn? They're too wicked. They're too far gone. They're too broken. They're too callous. They've got too much atheism, too much doubt, so much unbelief. I want for you to know that God didn't give up on Nineveh, that God didn't give up on Jonah, and that God's not giving up on them either. And that just like God sent Jonah to Nineveh, God is sending you and me to those impossible people. I think that some of us, like a rewrite that we need to have tonight is like we need to rewrite how we see our responsibility. Sometimes we think, man, it's just going to be the church's job and the church is going to reach them and they're going to run some really great Instagram ads and they're going to get out there. They're going to put on some really great services and Joey's going to scream as loud as he can and they're going to sing some really awesome songs and they're going to put some Holy Spirit smoke up in here and just the masses build it and they will come. That's not the way that it works. The way that it works is that person by person hears the word of the Lord. They step out in obedience. They go to impossible people and the God of the impossible rewrites story after story after story because we started to change how we see our responsibility. I think that when we get to heaven, there are going to be hundreds and hundreds, thousands and thousands of Ninevites in heaven. And I wonder, will your impossible person be there too? Jesus says the Ninevites will. Luke chapter 11, verse 32 says it like this. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. One greater than Jonah is here. I love that in the end, that when we get to heaven, we are going to be so shocked and so surprised by the people that we see there. I love that the kingdom of God is an economy that is so different than the economy of success and um, what's right and what's wrong and what's just and what's fair and what's not fair. It's so different than the one that we have in our mind. We think that we're going to get to heaven and that there are going to be all these people who are so perfect and so prim and so proper and who never made a mistake and who never drank alcohol maybe or who never said a cuss word maybe or who went to church every Sunday maybe. And there's just going to be just droves and droves of people in choir robes and with hymnals. And, but that's not what it's going to be like. There's going to be a bunch of Ninevites in heaven. There are going to be a bunch of broken people who didn't say that they were greater, that they were enough or that they had it all together, but who realized that they didn't, who entrusted their souls to Jesus instead, who understood that it's grace that makes all the difference. It's grace that rewrites the story. You know, I'm so inspired by Jonah, but I'm even more inspired by Jesus. It says that one greater than Jonah is here. I'm here to tell you tonight that Jesus is the greater Jonah. Jesus is the greater Jonah. You see, Jonah went, to Is Jonah went from Israel to Nineveh. Jesus went from heaven to earth. Jonah went to Nineveh unwillingly. Jesus came to earth willingly. Jonah was spit out of a fish. Jesus was spit out of the grave. Jonah preached a few words of God and Jesus shows up as the word of God. God came to Jonah twice. Jesus only needed the father to send him once. Jonah saw a king repent. Jesus is the king of kings who is in no need of repentance. Jonah saw one nation repent. Jesus will see someone from every nation on planet earth bow their knee to Jesus as king of kings. Jonah preached an eight-word sermon. Jesus, in Joey fashion, preached an 18-word sermon. 
Mark chapter 1, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. There is a rewrite that is available for you tonight. Your life up to this point may feel like it's been full of running. Running from God, running from love, running from relationships, running from marriage, running from responsibility, running from the right thing. And you may feel like tonight that you are drowning and that you are in the belly of a whale and that you don't know which way is up and that you don't know what's next. But for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart tonight. And if there is a rewrite that is possible, there's something being in your chest right now saying, I want it. I need it. I've been searching for it. And it's available. Just got to repent and believe the gospel. Let me tell you the gospel. The gospel is the good news that you are more broken than you could ever fathom, but that in Jesus you are more loved than you've ever dared to dream. That in your humanity you've absolutely sinned before a holy God, but that in God's grace he sent his son Jesus to die for you and me. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves his creation too much to give up on it. And he sent Jesus on a rescue mission to get you and I back home to the heart of a father, of a father who loves us and pursues us and welcomes us home with open arms. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed tonight, I just wanna give some people who've been running away from their destiny, who've been running away from their family, been running away from the future that they know that they were made for a chance for their story to be rewritten so in the quietness of your heart if you know you need a rewrite tonight and you know you need a relationship with Jesus tonight I just want for you to pray this say God I'm tired of running and I'm ready to come back home. I wanna put the pen in your hands tonight, Jesus. I want for you to call the shots. I want for you to write the script. I know I've blown it, but if there's grace, I receive it. I believe you died for me, Jesus. I believe you bled for me, Jesus. And I believe you rose again from the dead. If you prayed that, the Bible tells us that something supernatural happened, that his spirit came to live in you, making you a new creation, causing you to see life different both now and forever. And I just wanna mark that moment and celebrate with all of heaven if you are a runaway who's coming back home and getting a rewritten story tonight. And so on the count of three, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want for you to raise your hand and confidence and in boldness saying, I am done running. I'm putting the pen in God's hand and I'm trusting that he rewrites my story tonight. If that was you, we want to celebrate with you. And so on the count of three in boldness, raise your hand. One, two, three. Come on, amen and amen and amen. Come on, let's celebrate tonight for these people who are coming back home to the heart of God. Jesus, I thank you that you are a good God. And God, I'm grateful that you are a merciful Father. And I pray that not a single one of us would walk out of here tonight without doing business with you. That all of us would ask the question, where am I running and where am I hiding? And is it time for a rewrite? Is it time for me to place my life in the Father's hands? Jesus, let all of us move in that direction today and let you get 